so I hear you have a raging hangover after shenanigans at Wembley Listen, yesterday. you know, Ed, that I do not drink and I haven't done for many years and many years indeed. And uh, so you are spreading scurrilous rumours about uh, me. Uh, how did that guy fall through the, uh, the, uh, the ceiling at the Green Man exactly? All right, so the, the day out at Wembley was, I mean, honestly, it was one of the best football supporting days of my life. Um, we uh, we met up and went to the Green Man, me, me and a friend. And uh, the Green Man was absolute bedlam. I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast that were there. There must have been two or three thousand Reds there. Trying uh, my friend tried to get a drink at the bar, and he was there for a long time while I was waiting for him outside. Um, then went to this kind of like side bit. They've got like a big garden and a big tent. Um, and a part of the garden is has got like a, a roofed, a plastic uh, roofed area, which I guess is for smokers in the rain or for uh, members of the Travelling Red Army to try and climb onto the roof uh, to lead the chanting from up on the roof. So there's a brilliant video of this that's on the Daily Mail website of all places. The man kind of totters. And it's like, you know, it's it's looking a bit uncertain. And then he kind of stands fully up and everyone's like, yes. And then, <laughs> and then the plastic roof just gives out under him. And he fall, he's taken his shirt off by this point and he falls through the roof. It's not a long fall. He was completely fine. And then the whole place just erupts into Red Army, Red Army. Red Very Army. good. He hadn't given, given Marcellus Wallace's wife a foot massage then. Um, so... Uh, United into the FA Cup final. So let's let's talk about Everton first because it's the fun one, isn't it? Oh well, um, Palace was actually loads of Palace fun. Palace was very too. good too, but but it, you know, top of mind. So uh, United with a well, I thought they were outstanding for the first uh, 40, 45 minutes or so. Um, Everton really came strongly back into the game in the second half, and and in the end, United have. The brilliance of uh, Anthony Martial and the brilliance of David De Gea to thank for a cup final at Wembley on May the 21st. I mean, it was just an absolutely cracking game of football, wasn't it? Not something we've been able to say. It was. That often. 39 chances created in the uh, in the game. United created over 20 chances from open play. I mean, uh, I, I mean, it just hasn't happened in the last two years. No, funnily enough, the game where it came closest to happening was was Palace. Right? That's it, Palace was a kind of very similar pattern, except. There wasn't really an opposition, um, but but that same shape, that four one four one, as as people are calling it, um, really effective two games in a row attacking. I mean, uh, you know, we were incredibly porous defensively, <laughs> and you're right. We have to thank David de Gea not just for the penalty save, but uh, we have to thank de Gea and a bunch of really profligate Everton finishing because they really should have taken better advantage of that period of ascendancy they had. Uh, the first, well, sort of between between the penalty miss and the goal, um, they absolutely kind of ran the show. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, they scored with the runner play fully. And um, I, I suppose if you're Everton, you might be feeling a bit sore about not taking that into extra time because I think they did enough to deserve it. I mean, you know, not not that any of us are complaining uh, about a last-minute goal or injury, t- injury time goal. That hasn't happened very often recently, has it? So um takes you back to the days of old. Oh, uh, that does. But, but look, they played very well, Everton, and in an open game, and that kind of suited them, didn't it? Because uh, that's their strength. They're de- definitely not good at defending. No, it, at, the, at times it really looked like they'd gone to three at the back, um, with sort of Besic and 
oh, I can't even, and Baines playing as wing backs. But that's not really what happened. It's just that they'd so often a defender had to, a midfielder had to drop into central defence because United had so much of the ball for swathes of that game. Well, it was uh, Darren Gibson, the libero, wasn't it, for a while? <laughs> Class, classic Gibbo, the libero. And, and um, then he stormed upfield in the second half and uh, just ruined Rooney. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not having a dig at Rooney. He was actually very good at Wembley. Um, uh, I mean, honestly, like when I, I, I think. The West Ham game where he got suspended for swearing at the camera is the last time he played that well in the United show. It was, uh, I mean, I don't want to be overly hyperbolic, and I'm not saying it was faultless, but it was a pretty darn magnificent performance from Rooney. Like, he just looked so motivated, so driven. 93% pass completion, and like 53 passes that's from as well. So it's hard like he wasn't involved. Um, sure, yeah, although, uh, you know, at times um, in the second half we got overrun. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Ever- Everton took control of the midfield, that uh, awesome midfield of Cleverly and Gibbo. <laughs> Good stuff there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of this because uh, I think we've seen enough of Rooney in central midfield to know that uh, he doesn't make a top-class central midfielder, but he, he's been very good against Palace and very good against Everton, yeah. you know, or at least more than good. Uh, and uh, and that might say more about the opposition than Rooney, I suppose, and we only really find that out when United play a top-class team and he's in there, which, you know, I guess he might be because that's... Um, that's, that looks like his future. What I would say that's helped him and United much more is this move to 4-3-3. And it's more of a 4-3-3 with Martial and Lingard in the side. Um, and in fact, against Palace, of course, Mata was playing very centrally, pretty much at, at number 10, um, or the most advanced of the three in midfield. And, and, and you know, surprise, surprise, well, no surprise, right? Because when United played in 4-3-3 last season, they were also open and attacking. It looked like a much more United-type style, style of play, didn't it? One we haven't seen from Van Gaal almost all season. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and exactly as you say, it's just no surprise that suddenly United look a much more effective attacking unit. And the thing that's so confusing is how obvious it is and how... Obvious that it is that that's the antidote to the thing that he's been complaining about all season about teams sitting back and defending. Give him another attacker to deal with then. See if that helps. And lo and behold, it does. Of course, we are then super vulnerable on the counter-attack. Even against Palace, they had their moments. But, you know, just to come back to the FA Cup final, it's hard to talk about this game from a kind of rational football analysis perspective because of the... uh, the pure uh, transcendent joy of that Martial goal and what followed. Like, he'd, he'd had a really good chance in the first half and blasted it over. And standing there, and it was at the end that the United fans were, and I was right up at the back um, at a fantastic view. I'd never been to Wembley before, and, and I really enjoyed the whole the whole atmosphere in the stadium that was it was really noisy for a lot of a lot of the game it looked like Herrera was going to lose that ball and then suddenly out of nowhere he found kind of extends his falling leg and just jabs it through to Martial kind of then you're thinking for a second oh he's not going to do it then he scores and for a split second I was thinking okay just a quick glance at the linesman make sure he's not offside and then he's run over to the other side or jumped into the crowd and the whole United team were going around him and it's absolute bedlam 
bedlam in Wembley Stadium, hugging strangers and, you know, the kind of the kind of thing that football gives you when it's at its best. And this is why boring football is such an anathema, because when football's not boring, it's amazing. Well, absolutely. Yeah, no, exactly. Yes. Um, and football is supposed to be entertainment and, uh, and at its very best, it's the best form of entertainment there is. Uh, and we've had that very, very little. I mean, just to go back to to the point you made at the start of the um, the sentence, the long rambling sentence, <laughs> long I'll rambling croaky sentence. I will do that. Yeah, um, that uh, that it's hard to think about the game in a rational way, you know, because of the excitement. And, and that's true. You know, a last minute winner will do that for you. But you know. Thinking about the game in a rational way, if he hadn't scored that last-minute winner and extra time just like bored out into you know no goals and United lost on penalties or something, we'd have a very different assessment of that game because Everton came back into it so strongly in that second half and United just went off the boil that I think we'd have a different assessment of just how good United were. As it happens, Marcel pops up with that injury time winner and, you know, we can feel great about it. Um, and, and we can feel great about the fact that United were open and did try and score more goals than the opposition, which is kind of what football's supposed to be about. <laughs> At least I thought so anyway. Absolutely. A word for Rooney's goal line clearance in the first half. Yeah, superb. Really yeah. great. Well, Rooney and Fellaini, of course, yes! went you know stormed back. Um, not only did he run 70 yards uh, to score a goal, um, not not the cleanest strike he'll ever do, but um, very good movement, actually, you know, cut away from the defender to, to find space. Uh, but then he, he also made another 70-yard run to make a absolute blockbuster of a tackle to save United at the other end. Yeah, um, he, his performance was so odd. I've naturally seen a ton of praise for it, but he did also, like, hate to nick pick after a game like that but did also really slow down so many of United's attacks well, of course it's just one where he's got the ball right on the edge of the area and he's got little tiny fast players buzzing all around him just sort of looks around like he's looking over their heads or something and doesn't see him and stops and knocks it back to Carrick yeah well look look um Fellaini is the worst player in the United squad in possession and I, I, you know, not just the ability, I mean, 90 odd percent success rate with passes against Everton, but I mean, you know, actual effective use of possession. I include Chris Smalling in this, you know, um, there is one use for Maran Fellaini and one use only, and that's to cause trouble in the box. Um, and, you know, in a 4-3-3, he had more freedom to make those forward runs. He still doesn't break ahead of the ball, but he had more freedom to get forward. And that's why he scored. Um, I, I, for me, it makes no difference. He shouldn't be anywhere near a, a United team. Um, and I think United would have been even more effective with a better midfielder in there, you know, Herrera or Mata. Pick which one you want. Um, but for for whatever reason, Van Gaal likes him in there. Um, and I guess he's going to start the cup final now because of uh, everything that Van Gaal likes, you know. So there you go. Um, I feel like it's totally fair to be critical of aspects of his performances, but then also we do have to exactly acknowledge what you said, which is he made a, a really intelligent run for his goal, which was so important for United to get their noses in front. Because how many times this season have we seen good passages of play where they don't make the breakthrough and then the other team comes back into it? And we saw how much Everton stormed back into it. And then that challenge was, it was totally crucial. 
Uh, talking of crucial talent challenges, uh, Timothy Fosumensa, I had to write a winners and losers thing for Bleacher Report afterwards, and I, I was a bit sad to do it, but I put um, Fosumensa down as one of the losers from the game. Not really even necessarily because of that challenge, because I think... You know, United had handled the counter-attack that led to that penalty absolutely abysmally and many people should have stopped the ball ever getting into that position. But he looked really nervy from the off. He, he misplaced a couple of passes early on and he just looked really shaky. I, I thought it um, after his kind of a really superb start, it, it's the first time I've seen him look his age in a United shirt. So I, I sort of agree with you in that, you know, I, it wasn't his best performance. His first big game at Wembley and all of that probably did contribute to significant nerves. You'd kind of expect it, wouldn't you? Um, that said, he did take the ball very cleanly. Just a little bit of a follow-through with the left leg. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so um, I'm I'm sure if you did a poll of referees, most of them go, oh, well, that's a penalty because he's, he's followed through on the man. If you took a poll of pros, uh, I'm going to guess that about 99.9 out of 100 would say that's a good tackle. Yeah, but... The referee, I mean, only one of those polls has any validity, right? No, but the point I'm making is, you know, it was a very good tackle five to ten years ago. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, but I I mean, I have to take issue with subbing him because he wasn't actually yellow carded for that tackle, was he? So um, it's not as if we're, we're like, uh, worrying about him getting sent off or anything like that. He's actually pretty mature in his performances, even if he wasn't. I'm totally wrong about that. Um, and it, it just looks like Van Gaal being reactionary, which, of course, is, you know, what he is as a coach. Well, I I thought, actually, he should have taken him off at half-time. That was that was my assessment of his first-half performance. I just I just thought he looked really uncertain. He, he looked better in the opposition half. He looked fine. But when he had the ball or had any defending to do, he just really... I thought he looked really overawed. So, um, I... I was kind of with Van Gaal on that one, I have to say. Yeah, well, there you go. You and Van Gaal destroying youngsters' confidence one game at a time. <laughs> I mean, I really hope this isn't... I can't, I cannot imagine this is Van Gaal giving up on Fosumensa, though, by the way, because he's been far too good so far. Yeah, um, remember a player called Guillermo Varela? <laughs> no. Remember a player called Rafael da Silva? Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, the one thing you can say about Van Gaal is he appears to hold a grudge. But the, uh, the thing is, like, uh, Varela just feels like the kind of fullback Van Gaal inherently doesn't trust tricky attacking fullbacks. Whereas Fosumensa's like, you know, big, solid defensive force who's got the import, you know, who's got some utility in the final third under in his locker as well, doesn't feel like the kind of player Van Gaal's going to give up on in that way. It's not South American. Yeah. Um, so anyway, look, that that was United at Wembley against Everton Palace a few days before. Oh, no, we can't. We can't stop yet, Ed. I've got more stories. I've got more hashtag tales to tell of that of that game. Um I think we should talk a little bit more about Martial's overall performance as well as his goal. He provided the assist for Fellaini's, um, Fellaini's goal and he was just electric all the way through. It really reminded me of his performance against Seamus Coleman again at, um, at Goodison Park. Right, Seamus Coleman was probably very glad he was injured and not fit for this one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just kept beating players and, and so much of the uh, interplay was between... Lingard, one of Rooney and Fellaini, Rashford and Martial. 
And there was just a lot of times when there was just a little through ball into the box and either Rashford or Martial on the end of it. Rashford pulling out all the tricks, couldn't quite get a goal, but an, another really good assured performance from him. And a, and a little word about Herrera as well, because um, his substitution... Uh, really made a huge difference, both in in the extremely intelligent yellow card he got himself um, with a proper rugby tackle, and then it was that that diligence and that fight, that kind of tigerish quality that Herrera has, and also the sort of football intelligence that that set up Martial's winner. Yeah, I mean Martial was uh, was brilliant, absolutely outstanding, and of course having uh, fewer defensive responsibilities in that kind of formation. Um, he was able to just focus on on bombing forward, and uh, he he was just uh, he was he was devastating. And um, in in that kind of position, in that more of a four three three shape, uh, he's he's just as dangerous coming from inside left as he is uh, at centre forward. Yeah. The the problem I have with Martial when he's not playing centre forward and he's playing in a something that looks more like a four two three one or something more conventional is that he spends half his time defending, you know, and you've got your probably your best player um, not on the front foot all the time or in the wrong part of the pitch to really cause damage. Uh, at Wembley, he was, he was you know, a constant menace. Um, and him and uh, Rashford are a great combo. And, and Rashford's just, you know, beautifully composed. Uh, all the tricks were out, as you said, but his movement's brilliant. Um, he... he Looks like I mean I know Roy Hodgson said he won't take him, uh, but I would be seriously tempted if you were taking five players to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on Martial on the left, in especially in a four-three-three, imagine him with Luke Shaw backing him up rather than the player Andy Thomas described as like having a Labrador at left back, sort of fun, but and a little bit endearing, but not much use. Uh, Marcus Rocco, oh my goodness. Oh, he's got to go, Ed. He's got to go. Yes, he uh, he looks all of a £16 million player, doesn't he? When he's from Jorge Mendes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so with Luke Shaw backing up Martial down the left, that is electric and scary uh, as a prospect. So after after the game, incredible... Inc- I mean, genuinely, like the, the phrase incredible scenes was never made uh, for more than something, a moment like this. Um, down the steps... You know, Wembley's got that big enclosed section with the kind of escalators you go down because we're really high up. But walk down the stairs rather than the escalators and the whole place is just reverberating to the Martial chant. And then it spills outside to the the concourse, not the indoor concourse, but the outdoor concourse. And it turns out that every single one of those uh, stairwells has been ringing out to that tune. And then the whole of Wembley outside does it. So everyone's walking to the train. I mean... 20 minutes of solid Martial chants, uh, thousands and thousands of people, everyone singing. It was it was really an amazing moment of the season. Well, there might be a more amazing uh, uh, moment in a couple of weeks' time. Let's hope so. Uh, United's first trophy. Yes. Unless you're counting the Community Shield under old Moisaya. Nope. Uh, <laughs> it, um, you know, coming up and, and it's against Palace and, and uh, United, you know, solidly beat Palace um, at Old Trafford. There, there haven't been that many games when United have played a particularly poor Premier League side uh, and looked really comfortable at Old Trafford. Uh, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but but very, very comfortable win. Uh, Rooney in central midfield again, pretty effective, not as good as he was against Everton, 
um, I thought. Uh, Mata, very good in uh, a sort of advanced central midfield role on this this 4-3-3, formation again. Suits United, doesn't it? It really does. Also, what suits United is not just a not very good Premier League team, but a Premier League team that could not want to be there less, like, safe from relegation. And absolutely nothing to play for in the league with an FA Cup semi-final coming up. Just apart from Spironi, not one of those players seemed to be in the least bit bothered. Um, United just waltzing through. Uh, Matteo Damian with an out-of-nowhere star turn, an assist for an own goal and an absolute... Belter. Yeah, um, Rafael De Silva scored a belter like that with his left foot once, remember? <laughs> it, it's called a swinger for a good reason. <laughs> the happy Gilmore of volleys, that one. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Damian will score highly on uh, all those algorithmic rating um, uh, things. Yeah, he wasn't that good, really, but uh, he gets an assist and a, a goal, which, uh, you know, nosebleed territory for him, I suppose. But overall, United very, very effective. I thought Martial good again, not as good as he was at Wembley. Uh, Rooney and Massa, an effective attacking unit. Schneiderling shielding very well. Um, the back four looked you know, pretty solid. I, I wouldn't say Crystal Palace created a lot. They created a few chances. I mean, you know, they they uh, played with a little bit of freedom now and again when they could be bothered. Um, I think they will uh, surely care more at Wembley in a couple of weeks' time. Surely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's 1990 all over again, right? That's... Yeah, well, you see, what we need to do, because, you know, history matters, is uh, drop David De Gea <laughs> and uh, put Rome. <laughs> Romero in goal. <laughs> what we really should do, though, is play Cameron Borthwick-Jackson because you want a youth product left-back to pop up and score the winner. That's obviously key. Very true. Where is Neil Webb when you need him? Neil Webb didn't score the winner in the replay. No, but he, he, he put in the brilliant crossfield oh, ball yeah. for for Lee Martin to uh, drive that one home. You, uh, we'll, we'll talk about more, that more, no doubt, when we do a preview. That That game brings back a lot of memories. Um, yeah, so the Palace game, it it was like a sort of dress rehearsal. The one thing I was really surprised about, about the team selection, I wasn't particularly surprised to see Fellaini in there. The one thing I was surprised about was Carrick starting ahead of Schneiderlin. Um, what, what do you think of that decision? And, and do you think it was um, validated by events? He didn't start again ahead of Schneiderlin. Uh, sorry, in the FA Cup semi-final. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Um, Yes, odd. I mean, uh, because Schneiderlin's been pretty effective in that position. Um, you know, and, and he made a few changes for the Everton game, didn't he? Brought Fellaini back in, dropped Matter, Carrick for Schneiderlin, um, changed around the fullbacks a little bit. So I guess he wanted a bit of midfield control in there with Carrick if he's going to play Fellaini, because you don't get any. Uh, Schneiderlin's an odd one, right? Because uh, it appears that Van Hal doesn't fully trust him. Whereas his performances are, uh, there are six and a half to seven out of ten pretty much every week. He's pretty consistent now, isn't he? Um, he's not going to win World Player of the Year anytime soon. Um, and he might not be of the standard United need to win the title, but he's he's a very effective screen. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what's going to happen to Carrick. I want, they still haven't extended his contract and it's really running out. He's really running out of time now, isn't he? It doesn't look like they will, or maybe they're waiting until the new coach is confirmed <laughs> on May 22nd. There's a fascinating discussion to be had about whether or not the FA Cup makes any sustain, any meaningful difference. None. None. It's not a fascinating discussion. Uh, Van Hal needs to go. And uh, it doesn't really matter whether United make fourth and win the FA Cup or, or finish fifth and don't win the FA Cup. 
Does that change anything we've seen over the last two years? Not one jot. The position I've essentially come to is that if Van Gaal was 45 and we were talking about whether to keep him for another five years or not, I would be much, much more inclined to say that the progression in the latter part of this season has shown that the the collective is beginning to somewhat adapt to Van Gaal's football and that maybe... uh, he will take a kind of more bold approach as it it shows time and time again that that, that's better off. But what I don't think there's any point in doing is giving him one lame duck season at 68 years old or whatever, 65, 66, something like that. I I don't know why we're even debating this, you know, sure, sure, but even if he was 45, um, 45 having spent a couple hundred million pounds to finish 17 points behind Leicester. Yeah, but I think then you're then all you're doing is, you know, then everything is short term, right? If you're only focused on what's happening right now, rather than looking at what patterns are developing, I think if you were looking at a kind of five-year-long pattern, you might say that there is there are enough signs of progression, there's enough signs of kind of a level of tactical organisation and awareness that's been completely missing for large swathes of this season and especially last, which is now kind of looking somewhat automatic among the team. It very rarely looks like they don't know where to stand. I mean, that that game against West Ham where they allegedly changed formation at the last minute is probably the one exception. Um, so, So there is some kind of cohesion developing. But United's form over the last 10 games puts them fourth in the Premier League, right, for form. So it's not as if we're suddenly storming up the table and oh, no. and all of this is coming together and it's finally clicked up to two years. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't. So you know, no, they're no. still a pretty mediocre team. I, and I think you're. Th- uh, this is a complete hypothetical because I'm, as I say, I'm talking about if you were taking a really long term view of it. But one more season, there's absolutely no point. The other thing that people who defend Van Gaal point to is United. You know, Home record. United are top of the league for home form this season, but they've scored 23 goals in 17 games. That's seven 1 0 wins. It's uh, and and six nil nil draws. That's in all competitions. Yeah, and the XG will show you that uh, United have been rather fortunate with some of those. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, and and you don't need XG to tell you that seven one nil wins is unsustainable, right? Because we talked about this after the Villa game. They could easily have just nicked an equaliser, and that could have happened time and time again in loads of those. But anyway. Nonetheless, absolutely buzzing my head off about the FA Cup. And I'll tell you one thing for sure. FA Cup over fourth place every single day, every single day. Oh, no, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Although it's important for the club as a whole to be in the Champions League because that attracts the right kinds of players. Um, And two seasons out of three out of the Champions League looks like a rather unfortunate pattern doesn't it? So if you're a top player, you might be thinking, hmm, um, if you're a top player and United kept Van Gaal and they were out of the Champions League, there's no way you go to United, not for all the money in the world, because there'll be many places that would want you that will pay just about as much money. And and so, you know, what United will be hoping for, I suppose, is the Mourinho factor. Um, for me, look, it's not even a, to come back to the original sort of talking point. It's, it's, it's not even a question. United will be insane insane to keep Van Gaal, whatever the result. Even if United win the next four games in a row, scoring eight goals a game and, and you know, ten at Wembley to win the FA Cup, 
the last two years tell you that would just be a bubble. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's uh, it. And, and, and also, if you look at the teams we've beaten to to win the FA Cup, assuming we win it, it's hardly a who's who of English football, is it? It's been a pretty straightforward ride. If you look at the kind of league table positions, West Ham by far the, the highest up the pyramid that we've beaten. Um, even though we, we definitely have put in some good performances. And it was, you know, it was incredible to see how much it meant to the team that, you know, there was a genuine connection between fans and players after that one. And and it was it was just a really, really special moment. And that's why, like, yeah, you're right. Of course, it matters to the club to get top four, but it's so ephemeral and, and sort of ultimately, like, meaningless because what we're doing is we're hoping to qualify for a Champions League, which we're not anywhere near ready to compete for, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah, um, there wasn't a good connection between the fans and uh, the team. And Old Trafford was there against Palace with huge gaps. Uh, Van Hal was having... You want, to, you want to see gaps. There are no gaps. You want to see gaps. Yeah, exactly. I saw them. What about you? Did you see them? <laughs> I saw some gaps. I did not see any gaps. You have seen them because you see what you want to see and then you write it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, of you, course you mixed up gaps. ethereal and uh, ephemeral earlier. I think Van Hel's ethereal. <laughs> 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 he is not of this world when he comes out with that absolute bollocks. It's amazing, amazing. Um, um, yeah, uh, fans running with their feet. I mean, you know, I, I guess as that, honestly, it's happened before Old Trafford late season games midweek. Um, yeah. people deciding not to go. I mean, he could have just said, yes, people have jobs. We have FA Cup semi-final at the weekend. It's an expensive business. Of course, there's a few empty seats. It'll, it'll be full again when we play Leicester in a week and a half. Like, he didn't have to say there's no empty yeah, seats. Yeah, there you go. Well, we've got, uh, what, four games left of him. <laughs> Five games left. And he's going to leave on a high, I hope. Um, should we uh, should we do some Twitter questions? Talking, I of would imagine there might the be fans. a few this week. Oh, it's absolutely rammed the hashtag Rankcast. Um, loads of stuff that we've already uh, talked about. So if you've asked about something we've already talked about, I'm sorry not to pick out your questions. Um, Con- consider it answered. Yeah, exactly. At M P H R M P H M P H R M P H says, "Is Anthony Martial a waste of money?" What what's that? That's at <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, he's been listening to the Rankcast a long time. As at <laughs> uh, yeah, he is total total waste of money. I'd chip him back to Monaco. Fifty million down the drain as Tony Marshall scores again. Honestly, I'm going to get like a little tear in my eye every time I think of that song for the rest of my life. At Rich Chilver says, how would United's transfer priorities differ under Van Gaal, Mourinho, or Pochettino next season? So very interesting. Yeah, well, Mourinho by two central defenders for a start. There's no way he would dick around with not having a top-class central defender. I mean, 100% guarantee. Uh, Van Hal, uh, who knows? I don't know. I mean, his record in the market is terrible, so I, I have no idea who he'd actually buy. Um, word on the street says he's very unhappy with his squad. Uh, he'd like a uh, senior creative player, apparently, because he doesn't have any of those in the squad. Um, the the one thing that I think they would all look at is someone that can definitely play on the right wing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because Jesse Lingard, he's so willing. He's so eager. Uh, he's he's a fantastic presence and, and you can see the relationship that front three have and that's great. But 
their quality is just not there. Yeah. Lingard will be a fantastic player for Everton in a couple of years' yeah, time. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Oh, funnily enough, at JSF underscore seven says, how important do you think Lingard is to our overall plate and balance needs to improve finishing though? No, so so he won't uh, because he just doesn't have that kind of quality, yeah. but um, he, he's very, very good defensively and, and structurally. And that's why he's in the team. I, I think it's not so much Lingard as just somebody that can stretch the play who on the right is, is having someone there that, that has kind of speed of thought and speed of movement is really is really great. But it's not just his finishing that he needs to improve, although that's a, a big factor. It's also his final ball delivery in general. It's just not up to snuff, which is a shame because he's so endearing and he's definitely like, you know, properly one of our own, as they say. At Alexis Star underscore says, is this the happiest rank cast of the season? It's definitely the happiest I've been about football all season. No, no doubt about that. For sure. I mean, two two wins, two very good performances and, and United in the cup final. Yeah. Not been a lot of good stuff to talk about this season. No, I'm, I'm, I am still, we're now a good bit, a little like 26 hours or something after, after the final whistle. I am still buzzing from that Martial goal. At a place to hide says, what would you give me for five unwanted Wayne Rooney Euro Panini stickers? I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I don't have a series of swaps to offer you. I'll, I'll swap you a, a Shane Long. <laughs> One Shane Long for five Wayne Rooney's. Wow, you really have got a hashtag agenda, Ed. No, no, I've just got a gap in my Panini <laughs> book. Are you collecting? No. no. Oh, that would be That would make me really happy if you were. What was the last sticker album you had, Ed? Oh, probably the Italian 90, I think. It was Mexico 86 for me. I think I might have had the Premier League one from the season after that, but uh, my parents strongly discouraged the uh, expense involved in sticker albums. I remember this this lad getting really annoyed with me at our primary school, Ed. Um, I think he was in your year, I can't remember his name, but I'd got David Pleat really early in the season. And he was like desperately looking for a David Plate swap. And I went, oh, it's a really easy one to get. You know, don't know anything when you're a kid. And after me saying this for about three months, he went, well, why have you never got a second one then? It's a pretty reasonable point, I thought. Uh, at jheap15 says, was Herrera's takedown on Barkley and feigning of injury the best thing to ever happen at Wembley? He, he took one for the team. It was close though, wasn't it? Got well-deserved applause for that. Ross Barkley got so mad. <laughs> yeah, um, yes, there Very were uh, probably many Evertonians quite mad at that one. But uh, yeah, uh, no, well well done, lad. Yeah, absolutely. At Nathan J. Wilco says, he's asked me specifically, Paul, what happens to your lap when you stand up? It turns into your legs, Nathan. I would have thought you'd have worked that one out by now. Uh, at Sam FY says, should Martial have the keys to the city? How many seasons does he have to do this before before he gets the keys to the city, do you think? Well, a few. I mean, look, he's too good to, for this to be a one-off, for sure. He's going to grow from here. He seems to he seems to have his uh, you know, head in the right place, I think. He seems to be progressing. He's he's playing in a you know, a, a selection of positions. He's he's played 18 games up front and 18 games on the wing this season. Uh, he's putting up very good numbers. I mean, he's scored more goals than any other player in the big five Euro leagues, under 21 player in the big five Euro leagues. Uh, not in the uh, PFA uh, Young Player of the Year list, though, oddly enough. Yeah, um, it's a very odd list in general, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, 
So, um, I, I mean, I, I'm sure we've had this conversation for the last four or five years in a row. Why, why are there players who are 24 on that? It's so list? silly. Ollie, Ollie was definitely nominated for a 24, right? That's, I think, when a time United benefited from it. But, but it's ridiculous because the the spirit of the. I mean, it should just be under 21s, right? That's it. Should be as simple as that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And uh, then it'd be a lot simpler. Although, although in the under twenty ones, it's always one of those ones where you're uh, you, you have to be under twenty one or twenty one or under at the time the qualification starts. So you get some players who are very nearly twenty one, yeah. two years, uh, you know, before a two year qualification tournament for like you know the under twenty one Euros or whatever, and turn out to be basically twenty three by the time the tournament comes around. But but yeah, anyway, I, I think a young player is a young player. Twenty four is not a young player. No. Absolutely not. I guess it's a relic of a time when players maybe started a little later and went a little longer in their career. Maybe certainly they maybe peaked a little later. Lots of players peak at 23, 24 now, right? That's not so unusual. Uh, yeah, in the Premier League where, where you do tend to get a younger start than, than say, Italy, I suppose. Um PFA player, t- sorry, PFA team of the year, uh, David Hare, the goalkeeper. No surprise there. Yeah, David De Gea is the goalkeeper in my heart's team of the year every year. It's getting to the point now, right? It's getting to the as good as Peter Schmeichel point. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, yeah. If, he, if he'd only just won a few more trophies at United, because of course <laughs> he'll have spent three years, well, maybe three years trophyless. Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, just a few more trophies in the European Cup and then he'd be, I think he's just a smidgen behind. Yeah, I think the one thing, I was thinking about this, the one thing that he hasn't got that Schmeichel has got was that incredible distribution because so many counter-attacks started from from Schmeichel and and either with his feet or with his hands, neither with his feet nor nor his hands, does, does De Gea have that kind of level of distribution, I don't think. I think he's a very good passer with his feet, um, definitely not with his hands. I mean, that, that throw from uh, from Schmeichel, you know, 65 yards or whatever he could chuck it, was uh, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at Stu1512 says, I get a funny feeling in my tummy every time I see Anthony Martial run with the ball. Is this love? Yes. I think it might. Yes, go with it. But back to the um, the team of the year. How many of that team of the year would get into the United side? Uh, so tell me the team. Oh, ten. Yeah, tell me the team. <laughs> so, I think that would... It's De Gea, Bellerin, Morgan, Alderweire, Vareld, Rose, Mares, Ali, Kante, Payet, Vardy and Kane. I'd have Kante and, um, and this isn't... Like, I would definitely have Kante at United, definitely. And I would definitely have Alderweireld at United as well, I think. But I'm not sure I would take any of the others. They would all obviously... Oh, Kane, yeah, in a heartbeat. But the problem with buying Kane or Lukaku or a another big striker is it really messes with the one really good thing we've got going on, doesn't it? Well, two, Martial and Rashford, who are both fine. Yeah, that's what I mean, Yeah, yeah. Agree. I, I wouldn't take Vardy. I'd take Mares, but not if uh, not if Van Hal was manager. I mean, he'd get precisely zero <laughs> minutes of football. So he scored seventeen yeah. goals and uh, made eleven assists this season. He still wouldn't get anywhere near Van Hal's team. Yeah, the thing about Mares is, I I know this is maybe this is ridiculous, and I, I really love watching him play. I think I'm pretty sure I've said at some point in the podcast this season I would have taken him at United, and I still wouldn't be sad if we bought him or anything. But I would like to see him do it one more season because. He's never done anything like this before. No, very true. 
One last word on this, uh, Wes Morgan being in there. I mean, he's had a fantastic season, of course. Um, who, who Was it Paul Merson? One of the really dumb pundits was uh, complaining it was Red that... Nat, Red Nat, it, that's it. Yeah. yeah, complaining that he hadn't made the England team. He's played 25 times for Jamaica. I love that kind of thing. At Quachet says, um, I think Martial is a winger. Okay, maybe maybe that that's a debatable point. But and Rashford is a centre forward. So where does this leave Memphis? Number ten, Memphis. I think this leaves him at a different football club. I think I'm not saying that's what I want to happen, but it's going to take quite some turnaround from here to get him in the side. So if you're going to play four three three, Rashford, Memphis, and Martial looks like a a a very good front three to me. You play Rashford on the right. Marcel in the middle? You'd play him anywhere, um, couldn't you? Uh, so, look, um, Memphis has so much more innate talent than than Jesse Lingard. And this is not having to go at Lingard or anything like that. It's just, you know, just naturally much more talented. He's in a very, very hard first season. He's 21. I would, I would bet on that talent and a new coach being able to bring that out more than dumping him. Yeah, I... You look, look, so if you sell... if you, I mean, there's a story in the mirror this weekend. If you, if you sell Memphis this uh, this summer, they're going to get half what they paid for him. Um, they paid uh, nearly 30 million, so they're going to get 15 million for him. Are they going to get less if they take another year to see whether he comes good or not? Yeah, it's a good question. It is a good question. Um, and talking of questions, we've got so, so many, and I'm sorry we can't get to more of them, but we'd just be here all night if we uh, if we kept going through them. Uh, but we really appreciate them. And um, we might do like a question special or something at the end of the season. I feel like that seems like a good idea, right? So uh, we've got a game. And talking of Mares, talking of Vardy, it's against the champions elect, you called them, Ed. Their win today is not anyway mathematically guaranteed, but it's a heck of a slog here from Spurs. To get back into it, isn't it? Well, eight points uh, with three games to go. I mean, Tottenham got four to go, including their Monday night game. So um, I I suppose they can lose their Monday night game and still win the title. But it would take a, what, a point from Leicester at Old Trafford to win the title. So, um, yeah, I guess there's not going to be a guard of honour at Old Trafford. Uh, <laughs> which I, I'm kind of relieved about, to be honest. Um, look, um, Leicester were fantastic against Swansea. If anyone thought they were going to blow up because Vardy wasn't in the team or they were going to tighten up because the pressure's really on, forget it. I mean, whatever Ranieri has done, uh, he has instilled some real belief in that team. Uh, Mares was brilliant again. Uh, so was Okazaki. So was uh, Ojoa. I mean, uh, going forward, they're an absolute delight to watch. Um, it's you know we've joked about uh, their doping, both financial and um, allegedly substance abuse, but but they're they're a great team to watch. And we also talked about Spurs being the best team in the Premier League a little while ago. On on the evidence of today's game against Swansea, that's not necessarily true. But you know Leicester are going to fully deserve this title. Amazing stuff, but they will. Yeah, it's really really incredible. And you you know you say whatever Ranieri's doing, and that press conference that he gave. The dilly ding, dilly dong. We're in the Champions League. Dilly ding, dilly dong. And that kind of, I thought that was an absolutely masterful press conference because he has looked tense on the touchline recently. He has looked kind of like the pressure was kind of getting to him and it felt a little bit like that was transmitting itself to the team. But I think that last minute equaliser from the penalty against West Ham 
I think he took that and ran with it brilliantly. And and you can just you can just imagine him in in the in the dressing room ahead of matches transmitting that kind of relaxation that he showed in that press conference to his players and and the performance they put in against Swansea was was brilliant. And I mean, you know, there's lots of problematic individuals in that Leicester team. But as a collective, you just absolutely can't hold it against them. There's lots of problem- problematic individuals in every football team, including all the ones that we supported as they won. Well, yeah, tons of trophies. Yeah, yeah. Look, and and uh, you uh, you didn't quite buy my uh, Leicester 17 points ahead of United. That's the uh, that 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 seals it for me uh, on Van Hal. Do, do you buy the fact that Leicester has scored 21 goals more than United? And that should seal it for Van Hal. No, as things are. In real life, of course, the 17 point thing is more than enough. In my hypothetical universe where Van Gaal's 45 and could be at United for 10 years, that's a slightly different story. So uh, in our season preview pod, I think I said something like uh, we asked, you know, what would be a successful season? I said within five points of the champions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is so far below par. I completely agree. And and the manner in which it's been below par as well. Uh, Van Gaal has had some misfortune. That I think the late break to Luke Shaw did make a big difference. But decision after decision after decision, uh, public statement after public statement, getting it wrong, um, opting for conservatism over dynamism almost every single time, except bizarrely when it's come right down to the crunch when there's no other option. You know, it's uh, he's done this to himself. It didn't have to be this way. Yeah. So we had Build going with uh, Jose has definitely signed for United last week. And uh, this week it's the main uh, Portuguese sports paper saying... Uh, Jose signs for Manchester United, so everyone seems certain. Uh, Red Issue's man in Lisbon is certain. It's done. They'll announce it uh, later in May, won't they? Uh, yeah, they moved. They moved the season ticket renewal back to after the FA Cup final. Yeah, just to, just to, just to rub it in Van Hal's face. It should be done of the evening of United celebrating the FA Cup. <laughs> no, I want him to go out of dignity. I don't. I think he deserves that. He's had one heck of a career. Last week on the podcast, we we talked about how papers all around Europe have gone with Jose T United, but few English papers have. The next day, the English papers were absolutely full of Jose T United done stories. People, Ryan Cast bears a lot of influence on uh, Guest of Fute, Apparently, they're like, "Oh, quick, better up the up the local spin machine." Perhaps we could sign with them and. Uh... <laughs> That would definitely give us better access to Manchester United. Yeah, well, actually, it came out this week um, because there's there's some level of transparency about agents' fees. And I have to say there are many reasons why this is not accurate. But United, in the winter transfer window, paid £10 million in agents' fees, mostly associated with David Hare's new contract and some backdating. You know, So the thing is, agents' fees aren't always, when the deal is signed, they're often spread out over the contract, especially on contract renewals as you'd kind of expect. Uh, so this is not a fully accurate picture, of course, but amazing that United not signing any players and man- still managed to spend £10 million on agents. Listen, I, I, that figure could be £100 million and I'd be fine with it if it meant David De Gea's in the sticks at United. <laughs> well, yeah, he's worth £100 million, yeah. Um, but but it also says that, you know, Jorge Mendes is, is in the top five best paid employees at Manchester United. <laughs> 
He deserves it, to be fair. He does do a lot of work on our behalf. Oh, and also on behalf of our direct rivals. No, no, I I, I encounter. Let me retort. Uh, I retort (laughs) with Marcus Rocco. I did say he also does a tremendous work on behalf of our key rivals. And Bebe. Honestly, football is so broken. You know, you mentioned um, doping. I was listening to the second captain's podcast and they were talking about doping in tennis. And just at some point, the big football doping scandal is really going to break, right? It's really going to blow up. Uh, Mamadou Sako has been suspended from Liverpool. Yeah, that story broke and you sent me a text message. And I mean, just just look at the guy's eyes. Tell me he's not been doping. Yeah, I mean, listen, this isn't based. This isn't a genuinely sincere allegation or anything. It's just after the Dortmund game when those celebrations were happening, and you thought, well, fair enough. These are these are absolutely wild scenes. But he did have a particularly uh, wild-eyed quality to him. But anyway, listen, that that probably doesn't. Uh, yeah, the word, word seems to be some kind of weight loss thing rather than. Uh... Rather than real loopy juice, but uh, still. But it does, I mean, okay, I'm not a medical expert, but like there's a, a certain stimulant quality to a lot of weight loss related stuff. Right? <laughs> Part of how it works. I, I wouldn't I know, know what you're talking about, Paul, but uh, could, yeah, yeah. But, um, for a man who's been larging it all weekend, I guess you're experienced in <laughs> yeah, these listen. things. Listen, I know my voice sounds like I had the wildest night of my life, but all that happened was I just sang a Tony Marshall song too often. That's my one my one crime against... Tony Marshall, Tony Wilson has had an influence on you, mate. <laughs> it's all a very long time ago now, Ed. I've, I'm, I'm a long-changed man. Very good. But I still know how to have a good time and absolutely losing your mind as Tony Marshall scores again is definitely a way to have a really good time. Hopefully you, the lovely listeners, have had a good time listening to the Rankcast. Before we finish, as is our tradition, we have to predict the score of a game that's pretty hard to predict. It actually means something to United, this game, doesn't it? Because really does. Arsenal, Arsenal dropped points again, although... And City did as well. Doing the maths, it still doesn't look particularly good, particularly since they play each other. Well, true. Um, United win the game in hand. Uh, that leaves United theoretically on 62 points versus 64 and 64. So there's only one win in it. Um, they play each other. One of them win. Yeah, that's the key, right? But One of them needs to win and then uh, United are very much on for fourth. Isn't this just going to be West Germany against Austria in whatever World Cup it was? 82, maybe? If they're sensible, it should be. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't look great. and But it does mean something for United and... Uh, Champions elect, you know, pretty effectively champions coming to Old Trafford, having just thumped uh, their rivals. They'll be in super confident mood. Vardy may or may not be back in the team. He, he would certainly cause United trouble, and he as he has already over the last couple of seasons. Um, should be a very good game. I mean, it's so it's so set up. Uh, for Leicester this, you know, United hogging the ball, uh, waiting until their opposition is out of shape, um, playing very direct up to the front guys with, uh, you know, lots of movement and lots of pace up front. Um, Leicester are, are set up perfectly to beat United. And not that I'm saying they will, but they are set up very well to do it. Uh, at the King Power in December, Van Gaal, or whenever it was, Van Gaal switched it up and um, played three at the back to uh, cope with Vardy. And it 
sort of worked for most of the game, except for the bit where Vardy scored. <laughs> yeah, except for the bit where it didn't work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I really, really, and it just, that was just a classic Van Gaal trying to be too clever because it really negatively affected United's build-up play uh, in possession. I really hope he sticks with the formation that's currently working for United and and, and tries to go toe-to-toe with Leicester because I definitely think that is United's best like that plays to United's strengths much more than really trying to control the game and and yeah right so so you know I'll give you a couple of scenarios United go toe-to-toe with Leicester and uh, lose 4-3 or 3-4 to Leicester versus he plays a 3-5-2 uh, and we eke uh, a 1-0 win from an own goal what do you think most of the United fans would prefer at this stage? I mean, you know, not like anyone's wishing a defeat, but we'd like to see some entertainment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that is really the key knock against Van Gaal. More than anything else, it's that... Like Aston Villa, that is easily the most bored I've ever been at a football match. And it's kind of... A, it, it's like the polar opposite of the experience of... I mean, obviously, like an FA Cup semi-final is a much bigger deal anyway than a... A somewhat meaningless Premier League game, but the there's two styles of football. Like, go toe to toe, risk it, go for it. Doesn't really matter if we lose. The 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 price of victory is not so extreme that it should be won at all costs at this stage. Um, and and also, it's not even that I'd rather have a four three defeat. It's that I think we've got a much better chance of actually pulling off a 4-3 win than a 1-0 win, really. Yeah. So at the weekend, Arsenal play Norwich and, and City play Southampton. And, uh, you know, this will this will dictate things a little bit, I suppose. But, um, I mean, you know, it'll have a big big impact on the, the whether United actually have any chance here. Because if they both win, then it's probably done and dusted, isn't it? And United have got to go for it. Got to. Got to go for it. Um, I suspect that we might see some changes. Uh, in fact, I'd be very surprised if we don't. Um, uh, and we do predictions, right? So I'm going to predict a one-all draw. OK. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict a 2-1 win to United, which um, sparks a kind of interesting end to the season on all fronts. Leicester have only lost three times in the league in the last 12 months, in which period they've got 97 points. <laughs> it's so crazy. So it's the most extraordinary story of not just football, but basically sport that I can remember at any point in my life. Humankind. <laughs> I'm not going that far. but in the f- Gary Bruckheimer is scripting this right now. In the field of human endeavour, in the field of human sporting endeavour, like team sports, what even comes close? Hey, look, you can fake a moon landing, but it's hard to fake Leicester getting 97 points across 12 months. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so my prediction of a win is maybe a little uh, a little optimistic, but I do think, um, I've thought for a long time we might win this game, and I keep coming back to the idea that I think that's just because, even though they've got 97 points in 15 games or whatever it is, when I see the word Leicester, my brain just goes, oh yeah, that's not a very good team. <laughs> It's like Man United against Leicester at Old Trafford. I would definitely win that. 
No, it, it's slow to process the new information. Oh, you mean the champions elect, Lester? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, very good. Um, in the meantime, you can get uh, Croaky Paul uh, when he's recovered from his uh, mega hangover after a mega bender uh, at UTD Rancast. It's not a hangover. There was no bender. Uh-huh. Um, we all believe you. Uh, umaxit.com and Bleacher Report. And you can get me at United Rant uh, on Twitter and Facebook uh, Pinterest, Instagram, and uh, something else, I suppose. Google Plus. Google Plus, yes. <laughs> Me well, hanging out with Google employees. <laughs> nice. All right, uh, we will catch you uh, at a similar time next week. Take it easy.